All right. It is Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. That means tomorrow is Thursday, November 25th, 2021. And that means it is Thanksgiving special here at Lawyer Talk. What's going to change? Well, not a whole lot. We're still going to interface with the Blitz momentarily, but uh, maybe we'll do a little Thanksgiving chat here at the end. Uh, Other stuff to cover. Well, who knows? We never know where we're going. Uh, But we do have a full crew here. Norm in the studio. Brett in the studio. As we wall way too often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Business got in the way of pleasure. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, uh, but it's good. You know, it's, yeah. it, you know, I guess the good news is for you, Brett, the studio sort of taken off. We've got ah, people back down here and busy. As, as yeah. somebody was asking me about business the other day, I said, it's feeling like early 2020 before COVID. Yep. It, so that I'm, I'm very hopeful what 2022 is going to look like. Yeah. Very hopeful. Yeah. And I think for everyone, you know, yeah. the, the, the economic devastation that the government caused, I didn't say COVID. I said that the government, <laughs> the government has caused here. Uh, I think uh, maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we can find a way to, to meet a couple needs that I have emerged so. there in the studio yeah. here because there's, yeah. you know, it's driven stuff to podcast land. It's driven stuff to virtual land. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of reality land, though, uh, so this is what I was doing last week. So right now, you guys should have seen his face. He was air shifting. He's air shifting. Yeah. I was air <laughs> shifting. So it's it like it might it have been a Def Leppard song in so uh, 1988. <laughs> so that's that's 140 miles an hour down their front straightaway at Roebling Road, man. Were you driving? Really? Oh yeah. Four, that was you? 450 horses. I didn't brand, think you knew how to drive. Brand wow, no, I 140. don't. I don't. I prove it every day. <laughs> 140. 140 when I shifted into fifth gear right there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Roebling Road, we were testing a new Cosworth engine in the, my historic uh, racing Capri. So brand new build. The guy who built the engine and some of the crew uh, were there to assist. You know, I couldn't have done it by myself. And Next time you do that, put a camera in the cockpit oh, with I can, you. I have video. I want yeah. video oh, of no, that. Oh, no, we, we have Inside GoPro. It? Yeah, okay. We're going to do it. We're oh, going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I is... want to feel 140. I don't care if it's virtual or not. Now, did you get on the, is there, do they still do a dyno? Do you still like uh, get oh, on yeah. and do we, the test? We have that, so the motor was dynoed before it went in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, that's how I know what's, the horsepower. What's dynoed? What's that mean? Where they test it. Okay. And there's a horsepower meter, so to speak. Gotcha. That, okay. uh, you know, shows you at what RPM you're creating how much horsepower and how much torque. To ev- to efficiently run the engine then, basically. Yeah. Okay, it, so it, you, you're not going to Well, it confirms, it. did we tune this right? Is it okay. assembled right uh, before you go to the trouble of putting it in a car and then finding out, uh-oh, this is okay. a lemon. Gotcha. You know? So you can hook gotcha. it up. Now, how do you tell what it is at the wheels then if you dyno it? And there's there's a, a general rule of thumb that you lose somewhere between 10 and 15% uh, to parasitic losses, um, meaning running it through the gearbox, uh, running it through the, the rear axles, uh, driving accessories, like if you have an alternator, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and streetcars, of course, air conditioning and all, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, other things that consume horsepower before it gets to the tires. I love that terminology, parasitic. Parasitic, great stuff. I love that. Leeching on and Exactly, isn't it a great term for that? I love that. Oh, yeah. It's like a mech so descriptive, yeah. Right, right. So we reduce that. So that particular car has no alternator. We charge the battery between sessions so that it we can run the ignition system and, you know, all of the the lights and whatever we need to run uh, off the battery without 
uh, consuming power by running an alternator. Has anybody, this is, I know it's probably a dumb question. Has anybody ever like tried to create a, like, could you put like a mini engine, maybe like a two horsepower or a, a two stroke uh, weed eater engine just to run the alternator? Well, they do that. Uh, it, it, so, so I don't know if you know what uh, a GPUs are like on um, aircraft. So aircraft have like uh, on some of the aircraft, like uh, military and commercial, they will have little um, inlets that drive little turbines that charge batteries while you're in flight. Hmm. Ah. Okay. So they are creating electricity they are generating electricity if you will as as the airplane's flying it's actually recharging the batteries off of the gpus so could you do so that there are things like that like a mini uh, windmill on your car like have a like a little tunnel that well, would turn a propeller that would create enough well what they're doing in formula one for example they are taking the energy that's consumed under braking to spin a flywheel that is then charging up the electric vehicle uh, drive system. So Formula One cars now are both motor, internal combustion driven, as well as electric vehicle battery driven. But that's what EVs do right now, correct? Yes, right. So they have... And to the general public, when you buy one that runs off the... But it it is a remarkable thing that under braking... Okay, you would spin up a flywheel that's spinning at some umpteen billion RPMs, and that is charging up a battery. I'm trying to figure out how the braking, because you're creating friction, which is an ex- ex- expansion or a use of energy. Correct. You're expending energy right. by creating braking because it creates friction and heat and everything right. else. How do they harness that and make it do something? I don't it's PFM, man. You know, pure effing magic. Uh, you, oh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that term. But it, must those, be, it must be very, so must those be a systems, very precise racing term. Those <laughs> systems are highly patented, and uh, some teams even um, do not patent it because they don't want other teams to be able to research their patents. Uh, so it's, I mean, oh, it's wow. like software. There are software wow. companies that will not patent they their development yeah, because, well, then, then the Chinese or, or their competitors down at Microsoft or Oracle or whoever can, can read their patent and go, oh, hey, that is good. Why don't we try this little tweak to it or we'll just steal it? Just enough to get around the patent requirement right. or just flat out take it if you're or China. Or just flat out. Yeah. If you're China, just mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I, um, but my, my car is an antique. So that car is a 72 Ford Capri made in Germany at the Ford Racing Division. And there are no high-tech tricks to that other than the engine is a Cosworth V6 that makes unbelievable amounts of power. See, I was thinking to myself when I was a kid and I was 16, what I really wanted was a Capri. I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I never yeah. even know what one was. <laughs> I didn't even know what one was. Uh, no, I wanted a GTO, which I now own. I have a 68 GTO that we're yeah. just starting to rebuild. I'm going to talk to you about that. I guess. Yeah. I'm going to pull it off the frame again. We're going to put a new suspension on it. We're going to do a whole nice. just something with the kids to well, do I, for wait, the winter. I should take mine to the same shop. I have a 69 GTO Judge. Do you really? Yeah. Ram Air 4, 433 rear end, M20, 4-speed. It is a, uh, a radio and uh, power brake and uh, console delete. It was yeah. purchased just to do showroom stock racing in NHRA. So it used yeah. to be painted on the sides. It said the Grim Reaper on the side wow. of this. Yes, so it anybody was... who knows what that is <laughs> knows that that is an incredibly 
valuable and rare car and okay. desirable. And like a yeah. GTO Judge is, is like the apex of the muscle car era. So your engine, if it's not a Ram Air 2, 68, the top engine would be a Ram Air 2, super rare. It had round exhaust ports yes. instead of your rectangular. Well, not all of them. But so here, yeah, exactly. So here's if what I If it was have. a Ram Air 2. I have... I do not have the original motor in that car, but it's a 68 vintage motor. Okay. And what it is is even more rare than that. Okay. It's a 68 GTO HO motor. Okay. 455? No, four, 400. 400. 400 okay. HO. Okay. And it had the round ports. Okay. And uh, it, that means it had its own cylinder heads and the, all the, okay. its own, all of it's unique. And they didn't okay. make very many of those. Okay. Um, it wasn't, I don't think it's a Ram Air 2. I think it is a Ram Air 2. If it has round ports, it's a Ram Air 2. We can look it up. I think it's, there's something unique about the HO motor. It was a, just not very common. They didn't, there weren't that many no. of them thrown in there. No, that's, that's quite a find actually. And the motor in that car is probably worth more than all of it, but it's probably worth more yeah. out of the car than it is in the car, right. you know, to the collectors. Right. But, right. uh. No, that's great. It's, uh, it's a neat car. We had it. I, I is it a chrome of, bumper car? Uh, the front bumper? Enduro or bumper. Enduro bumper. Okay. Hideaway Which headlights. was the first year, 68. Yep. So, yep. nice. Enduro bumper, hideaway headlights. Um, See, mine doesn't have the hideaways because that added weight. Mm -hmm. And this guy just, he, he wanted to strip down 69 Judge. Yep. And it's funny, those Judges were made for that. They were made for like the teenagers. They were cheaper. Than the, that than that the was the cars. intention. Yeah. You know, yeah. you could not get air conditioning with the Ram Air 4 motor. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, they, they did not offer that because of all the additional... Like a, compress um, or a vacuum problem or something? or Well, the, it had fresh air induction uh, through the hood. You know, the, the, the little... scoops. The scoops, the flappers were operational, which is... Yeah, a little thing you could pull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's got all that. Inside, it was like a little knob you'd pull. It's yeah. like, I'm going to get some more horsepower. Right, right. Hood tack, all that kind of bullshit. So, yeah. yeah. It's a really cool car. Uh, it's currently a basket case. It needs to go to a place like yours and uh, just like, I need to just take a wheelbarrow cash and just say, here. What's this? I mean, is it, uh, it's a, so it's a basket case, like dismantled basket well, case? Well, it's an old race car that has so been, been through. Yeah. yeah. So at some point, somebody put a two-speed Lenko uh, with a, a Chevrolet big block in it. And so it became non it didn't have the original drivetrain and it, you know, a tree fell on it at one point and, you know, it was put out back wet, you know, like yeah. a horse that, you but know, you still have the M20, you still got the rock crusher. Oh, I got all the stuff. And you got the motor. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I, it, what's really cool is back in the day before people were really caught on to muscle cars, I got a lot of the parts for that car off of George DeLorean, who's John DeLorean's brother. He ran a machine shop in Detroit. And John DeLorean famously was the head of Pontiac Division. Created the muscle car. Yeah. yeah. And him and uh, Jim Wangers created uh, the GTO. And then, uh, of course, he went on to DeLorean fame, uh, the company named after him. And uh, But at any rate, his, his brother George was a, a, a local machine shop dude. And uh, he had a set of Ram Air 2 and a set of Ram Air 4 heads. And I bought all four of those. The same, uh, the same month I went to Ronald Reagan's uh, uh, a convention in Detroit, actually. That, that's awesome. Because if you try to buy a set of Ram Air 2 or Ram Air 4 heads now, good luck. Oh, yeah. and, uh, a lot of guys buy the Edelbrock uh, aftermarket heads yeah, and, yeah. and just you know go with that. You can't do it. Because you, you can't find the original iron castings, especially date-coded to where Correct, it's, yeah. it's production uh, correct for your restoration. It's hard yeah. to find those. 
Yeah. And mine's not, uh, mine's a pretty cool car. It's not the original motor, but it's a pretty cool setup. And uh, you're in good company. There's a bunch of guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those those cars lived lived a hard life. Yeah. And I would actually be almost suspect of a car where everything is perfectly matching. I, I would be like, man, either this thing never got used or it's been phonied up. Yeah. It's just better to just, you know, have an honest survivor and just say, yeah, okay, one of the heads cracked and we replaced it with one that's not, you know, it's not in sequence with the production. Yeah, but, that's okay. But yeah, who gives a rat? Yep. And then, uh, you know, that, and that sort of gives me a little bit of liberty, I think, or I feel to do some other things with the car, like right. I'm going to put the Dakota gauges in it and I'm going to get uh, yeah. some aftermarket. Uh, oh, dude, and all, the suspension. The, all the, the suspension. The, and, the stock suspension was a little bouncy and mushy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can go to companies like Global West and yeah. really get corner carving modern quality yeah. suspension into that car. Yep. So we're going to... So we're doing Norm's Racing Podcast now. This is a good introduction to Norm's Racing. And it looks like the Blitz is coming on here in a second. But I tell you what, we're going to get back. We're going to do a whole episode talking about my GTO and your GTO. You know what we should do is a whole series on what I'm doing with mine and uh, get it out there and document it right. one step at a time. And then we should go race the piss out of it. Man, I tell you, I'll tell one more story. We got a couple seconds. But um, I... Uh, I pulled that out of my driveway or out of my garage one year and I drove it around a block and something didn't feel right. I don't even know why. I'm not a motor guy. I couldn't even, I couldn't yeah. even tell you why, right. but I pulled it back into my driveway and I called my buddy. I was like, I'm just didn't sound feel. It just didn't feel like it did last year. I don't know why. And he goes, well, just park it there. I'll be over. And uh, I said, well, I got to go to work. He goes, well, leave it out and I'll just, I'll bring my buddy over and we'll take a peek. Uh, and I left the keys on a tire or something. And uh, it's a convertible. So he was in the, Ooh, wow. He was, he started the car and sort of was poking around while it was running and his buddy had the hood open and, um, my buddy still had his hand on the key when he heard the clink, 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 and killed it. And I, one of the valve, um, well, they're the valves, I guess, right. It, it had broken. Oh, rocker arm, maybe. Rocker huh? arm. Yeah. It had the broken. push rod came off. And, or, yeah. Yeah. And it was like seconds away from ruining the whole motor. Oh, boy. Like split second away. Yeah. It may have valve spring break. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. But it was a valve train related. Yeah. Wow. And he killed it. I took it to uh, my brother-in-law. And they had an old hot rodder Pontiac guy down in uh, Pickaway County that came out and we put new valves and everything. And he found every single piece of that broken part. Holy like, cow. We were able to put it together to know that no metal had gotten down into the, yeah. into the cylinder heads. Right. And it was, uh, it, but I, I'll tell you what happened after they got done with it. It was, I'll never forget it. It was at a Memorial day party or something out at their house. And I was just going to take it for a spin around the block. It was, it's all good. And I was like, perfect. So I did what I normally do, you know, as I'm pulling out, I, I punched it. Sure. And I was going to just sort of, skid and fishtail across yeah. the, the road. Give it the beans. And uh, I was a fraction of a second from rolling it over in a ditch. I mean, it, it had more power <laughs> than it ever had. And I was just like, holy crap. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't used to it. I mean, yeah. that's how fast that or how much torque that car had when they were done with it. Yeah. And um, yeah, like one of those morons leaving a cars and coffee that you see the videos on. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about Mustang GT guys, but like they're a thing where these guys buy a new Shelby or something, they go to a Cars and Coffee and they go leave, you know, someplace in LA or wherever they're at and they go leave and somebody captures on video, they they head right to a light pole and total the car. Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it happens. All right, well, look, the Blitz is on. So here we go. We're going to join up with the Blitz uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll tune in afterwards for the usual mayhem and discussions that occur. 
All right, legal advice right now, 821-9970, 800-821-9970. We have Steve Palmer with us. What's up, Steve? How are you? Hey, how you guys doing? So what's your take on the Kyle Rittenhouse case? We were not with you last week, uh, and we didn't get to discuss, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are unhappy with this. Uh, they think, you know, when a guy was walking around in a neighborhood, uh, even if he was, quote, unquote, invited with a uh, with a pretty serious assault weapon, you know, they shouldn't walk free. Like, can you explain how that happens and like what the logic is behind that? Yeah, I guess, it, it, you know, both those there's a couple things that are that are at play here. First of all, you have to separate whether we anybody thinks it was a good idea for Kyle Rittenhouse to be there carrying an AR-15 or open carrying an AR-15 in that environment uh, at the outset. And then uh, once you have that separated, you have to determine uh, after he was already there and after he was already carrying an AR-15, was he permitted to engage in self-defense? In other words, uh, he used deadly force, and did he have a right to use deadly force? And obviously the jury said yes. I happen to agree with the jury on that. Um, but I also would be the first person to say or, or ask maybe rhetorically, what in the heck was he doing there with an AR-15 at 18 years old or 17 years old, rather, uh, in the midst of that uh, that mess of a situation? And you know, it, it, I, I understand why it's difficult for people to get their heads around it. I understand why people think that, uh, uh, you know, if, if he were a different color or a different race, then maybe the outcome might have been different. My response to all of that is the law is there to protect all of us. And if Kyle Rittenhouse happened to be of a different race, then I would agree with this outcome. If Kyle Rittenhouse is white, I agree with this outcome. You can't adjust the law to fit the outcome you want uh, or to fit a narrative that you like. Uh, the fact is, um, it, my assessment of it from a legal standpoint and a factual standpoint is that at the time Kyle Rittenhouse used deadly force, pulled the trigger, uh, he had a justification to do it. In other words, he was in reasonable fear uh, for his own life. And getting, uh, you know, in that scenario, he's allowed to use deadly force. So, you know, I understand why it's controversial. I would just urge everybody to consider this. Um, if you think it would have been different, if uh, there's a different defendant, the solution is not to change the rules. It's to change why uh, or get to the heart of why you think it might have been different. Because if you change the rules for Kyle Rittenhouse to get him convicted, then those rules are now changed for everybody else. Or even worse, they become fungible and uh, they don't apply evenly and consistently across the board. Uh, you know, the one thing that we have right now is a judicial system. Um, the more you try to tinker with it to get the outcome you like, uh, the less reliable it becomes. So that's my two cents. Something else that we've heard in the last couple of weeks is citizens arrest. Like what, like what entails, like what do you have to actually do to have a citizen's arrest? Yeah, I'm not, I got to confess, I'm not familiar with the Georgia or Atlanta or wherever that Aubrey case is going on, what their citizen's arrest law is. But in Ohio, anyone can make a felony arrest. And that's the statute, there's a statute in the Ohio Revised Code that authorizes felony arrest for any individual. Um, now, the issue becomes uh, whether somebody is making or whether the person making the arrest is a police officer uh, or say they're not a police officer, how much force can they use to effectuate the arrest? Um, and then what happens if it's not really a felony, but it's some other offense or not an offense at all because you're making a mistake? And, you know, the law, once it plays out, leaves a little bit of room for that, but it gets sort of gray and it gets sort of confusing. And, you know, the case down in Georgia, I don't know uh, exactly the circumstances to that. 
uh, why I haven't followed it, I confess, but uh, I haven't followed it so closely. But I know this, the first question that is going to arise as it gets decided is whether they were following the citizens arrest rules. And if not, then uh, everything after that becomes uh, problematic for those defendants. Uh, and if you if they are following the citizens arrest rules, and then everything after that may fall in their favor, it may not. Then it comes down to how much force did they use? Was the force reasonable? And uh, then it becomes something similar to maybe uh, the the same legal standard that Rittenhouse had to face, except in Georgia, which is, did they feel like they were acting in self-defense when they were effectuating this arrest? Was their use of force uh, proper? Uh, and I think it's a tougher argument for those guys down there. I don't know uh, how that's going to shake out. But, you know, we do have citizens arrest laws. My other take on it is this. If we have police on the streets, then the citizens don't need to uh, to get involved as much. You, you can always envision a scenario where they would. But uh, the more police uh, in the community and on the streets, the less of that you'll need. So, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts to the equation. It just is uh, it's just one of those things that. It looks like going forward, we're going to be dealing with more and more. All right. There's a text that came in. Uh, I don't know if I should say the guy's name, but it is a man. And he said, Steve, what can I do about my daughter's guidance counselor calling CPS on us? Uh, I guess, uh, um, yeah, CPS shows up, says it was pointless for them to be called. Um, I guess he says the guidance counselor is trying to groom my daughter into answering questions falsely. He gives this example. His daughter was in a four-wheeler accident with their neighbor. She had emergency brain surgery. The guidance counselor is asking, are you sure your dad wasn't the one who wrecked and he was drunk? You can tell me the truth. I think your dad did it. Just tell me. So for some reason, this guidance counselor called, uh, I guess, children's services. Children's services showed up and said, I don't know why we were called. And he wants to know if there's anything he can do to, I guess, protect his daughter from this guidance counselor. Uh, Yeah, here's the problem. Uh, We have created in our system something called mandatory reporters. Mandatory reporters are individuals who uh, or maybe work at schools or their doctors or their counselors or anybody who might have um, uh, professional contact with children. If they believe, reasonably speaking, that there is abuse going on, it is mandatory that they report it to the authorities. And the authorities in this situation and, and in most involving kids is going to be Child Protective Services. Uh, and that's what this has done, or that's what this uh, counselor has done. Now, I don't know if there is a cause of action or some other uh, means to redress if you have uh, a, quote, mandatory reporter who is abusing that uh, that requirement and, and just calling willy-nilly. Uh, now, the good news is it sounds like Children's Services did not do anything or take any action. So even if you could do something, uh, there, there's probably not a whole lot of damages that you could uh, point to. Uh, now, all I can say other than that is uh, uh, change schools, do do whatever you have to do to protect your kids. I, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on, and it seems like uh, parents um, are, are sort of polarizing against schools and the education system across the country. Uh, and uh, this is one of those things, I, like, like the other questions, we're just going to have to watch and see how it unfolds because w- once you get these kind of things pushed to the extremes, uh, we're going to start seeing outcomes like this, and uh, it's scary stuff. All right, to the text machine we go, Randy. Yeah, okay, this one says, My daughter was with her ex-fiance for a total of 13 years. Five of them, the last five, engaged. He ended the engagement without any warning. 
We've been planning and buying items for the wedding since the day he proposed, five years, including the down payment on the reception venue. My question is, can he be held liable for at least half or all the money we've already spent on this wedding? Yeah, I'm not. This is one of those I don't know. Um, here's the thing. It, it's probably not a contract, but if there's detrimental reliance on the promise that uh, the wedding is going to go through, there might be uh, some way to try to collect from this guy. But I have a hunch, sort of like uh, wedding rings and uh, uh, other items in contemplation of marriage, there's probably some specific law on this that's going to depend upon uh, the state you're in. And uh, I don't know how Ohio, how Ohio looks at it, but I'll bet you I could find out pretty quickly if you want to give me a shout, 614-224-6142. I hope you didn't lose too much money. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear that the, the relationship's breaking off, but better this way than after the marriage. Uh, Denver says, good morning. My brother used my name years ago and committed a crime. Even though I got everything fixed, I still cannot purchase a firearm. Even though I have a concealed carry permit in the state of Ohio, I cannot legally purchase a firearm. I know it's the federal side that's stopping it. What do I have to do to reverse this and get this taken care of? Yeah, I believe there is uh, there's some action that you can take. Um, and I, the terminology I, I can't recall as I'm sitting here, but there is some action you can take. And I think you can even get an expedited, uh, you can apply for a card or something to get uh, to, to eliminate this problem. It may never be possible to eliminate it completely, but I'll bet you you can make some headway into it. Uh, the person to call on this is going to be Derek DeBras. He's a phenomenal firearms lawyer. Uh, and a good friend of mine, and uh, I'd be happy to put you in touch. Give me a shout, 614-224-6142, and we can uh, see what action we can take uh, to get this thing fixed for you. I, I, I firmly believe in uh, everybody's right to bear arms if they want to, and uh, I think the less impediment to that, the better. If you're permitted to have a gun, you ought to be able to get one. So uh, give me a shout. All right, this next text, uh, they want to know if divorce crosses over into different countries. So she says, I know someone who's married to a guy in another country, but they've been separated for many years. It sounds like this person's the one who's writing in. So <laughs> they've been separated for many years. The reason they never got to divorce is because she has a lot to gain if he ends up dying. And the reason he's never divorced her is because he still loves her. So what happens if she gets married again with another guy in the USA without getting a divorce? Is it like what? Well, what? <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, I'm surmising here that the marriage was in a different country. The original marriage yes. was a different country. Now she doesn't say which one, but yes. Yeah. Now somebody lives in the United States, and they're worried about the other getting or the person in the United States getting remarried. Uh, I think here's what here's how this shakes out. If you're not divorced, you can't get remarried. I don't believe in our country. I think most states. Well, what if you just lie and say you've never been married? That's. I think that's what this person's saying. Well, then what would happen is you would, somebody, the marriage would be null and void. It could be um, uh, declared null because it, it, it wasn't valid in the first place. So you can lie and you might be able to even get married, but it's at the risk of having the marriage declared uh, void later. And whether that ends up, uh, uh, I don't know how the proof would happen on that. I guess it might depend on the state you're in and, and the different jurisdictions, but uh, yeah, well, if something happened like where the guy died and like the new wife shows up to collect the money and then like the original wife showed up and goes, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's, like a, that's where those things come up. So it, it, I, I keep saying null and void, but I meant to say annulment. But if you uh, – that's where that stuff's going to show up. So you're going to have some long-lost wife showing up and saying, oh, no, that million dollars is mine and your marriage never should have happened. Um, so how that all would shake out in probate courts, I don't know, but I would guess that if you're the wife now, or you're the person uh, who wants to later challenge the marriage, 
then uh, you ought to do it now. You ought to show up and say, look, you're still married. We're not divorced yet. Uh, make your claim now. I, I think if you know about a potential remarriage and you don't take action, that might hurt you later as you're trying to uh, make a claim for some in- inheritance or something like that. All right. This is the next one. This is from Control Freak. Okay. So I've been with the same man in the same dwelling for over seven years. The entire time we've both shared the bills. Everything's in his name though. He is now trying to throw me out with nothing. Is this possible? Well, it is possible. Um, I don't know. This is, you're not married. There is no uh, common law marriage in Ohio. So what you're looking at is pure contract. I mean, you can't just throw somebody out who has established residency there. That might require an eviction. It might require some court action. And to the extent that you have jointly paid for certain things, say it's furniture or uh, any other asset or any other uh, item, uh, in theory, you have a claim to whatever your the, half the value of that if it's paid for or whatever your contributory uh, input was. Um, so it just doesn't happen in a divorce court. It happens in civil court. So if I, with a friend, decide that we're going to buy a house full of furniture and we each pay ten grand, uh, and then he says, uh, sorry, I'm taking it all, well, he can't do that. I'm entitled to half the value of that furniture. Now, you're not going to get the amount you paid in on that kind of thing. It would be the value probably uh, at the time it is now. But, uh, you know, this is one of those where uh, getting, it's not a divorce, but getting some legal input would probably be helpful. All right, 821-9970, 800-821-9970. You can't always get what you want. But during the Thanksgiving Day holiday, sometimes you get what you don't really need, and that's like an abundance of family. And then sometimes you get an overdose. And then sometimes you start dosing on the vodka a little bit too much to try to block out old Uncle Jimmy. Uh Now, Steve, if they do that and they make the terrible decision to get behind the wheel of their Fiat afterwards, I just saw House of Gucci last night, so please forgive me. Uh, What would be your suggestion? Yeah, first and foremost, be safe, right? That's that's the easiest thing. Don't get be, don't get behind the wheel after drinking, and it happens so often. Like you start at mom's house, then you're going to go to your uh, spouse's mom's house, and then uh, then you you get all liquored up there because it's your in laws, and you don't feel like dealing with it. So then you drive home, and you get caught on the way home, or maybe uh, you get upset, and it turns into a fight, and you get charged with domestic violence. I mean, the the, the easiest thing is not to do it. Um, but short of that, what you should do is buy a little insurance here. Put my number in your phone right now: six one four. Two two four six one four two. I will be ready, willing, and able to help should anybody have any such problems over the holiday. You put that in your phone, Rick? Got it. Yeah. Okay, good. I know you got a lot of family coming over tomorrow. Crazy people. All right, so we have one more here, Steve, and then we're going to let you go, okay? So uh, Randy Razor standing by with uh, one more text. Okay, now this one is uh, a little longer, so I have to uh, wrangle it all together, guys, but it's a good one, okay? Um it's about a prenup, okay? Ooh, I love prenup. My fiance wants to do a prenup, and these are her points. She wants me to sign into a contract, and I want to know how legally binding these are, okay, if I sign this. One, John intends to support his wife, Samantha, by contributing at least half of his monthly income. The same is not expected of Samantha, who will contribute to the household income as she feels comfortable. Two, both John and Samantha are in agreement that they will be responsible for their own debts they accumulated before and during marriage. Three, John agrees to purchase a house for Samantha under completion of his medical training. Oh, so he's a doctor. Four, we both at this current time do not know what our parents will give us an inheritance wise. However, we both agree that we'll both not make claim to each other's inheritance. 
Oh my God. Five. John is giving a marriage gift of $30,000 to Samantha without the intent of claiming it on a later date. Six, John and Samantha both agree that if unforeseen circumstances lead to one partner not being able to work, financial responsibility will fall on the working partner. Okay, that's the nicest one I've seen so far because it's like mutual. No doubt. Uh, Seven, at this current time, we agree that if one of us passes away, our earnings will be transferred to our children. And if our children pass away with us, it will be transferred to our parents, respectively. What do you think? Is this legally binding? All right. There's a lot there. So I don't practice domestic law regularly, but I would say this. Antinuptial agreements or prenuptial agreements are valid. Generally, what you do is you delineate what is marital property and what is not marital property. And by that, I mean uh, you're sort of outlining in advance what you're bringing into the marriage. And uh, that includes the debts and the assets. So- a lot of that is what's going on here. You know, they're saying they're both responsible for their own debts that they bring into the marriage. Well, that's perfectly reasonable. And mm-hmm. if they both have accounts coming into the marriage and they want to outline or delineate that whatever that amount is going in, that is theirs going out should they get divorced. Now, here's what happens. During the marriage, that stuff can get commingled. It can get uh, mixed together or jumbled up or, you know, you contribute separately to the house or I have this much money. We want we want to buy this vacation home. And then it gets a little bit confusing. So the idea of the prenup is to identify that in advance so everybody knows. Now, as far as what happens with uh, the inheritance if, if to the kids, I'm not so sure that's an nuptial issue as much as it would be just um, a probate matter. Get a will, get an estate, create a trust, talk to Jay Michael, do what you got to do to fix that up. And as far as um, the $30,000 gift, I think that's okay. I think you know if, if both sides agree with that, and uh, it's in writing and it's approved. And, you know, I, I think that probably is enforceable. But uh, at the end of the day, I would say this. Talk to a qualified domestic relations attorney and have them look at this and give you a real opinion on whether these are valid conditions of the antinuptial agreement or ultimately enforceable. Um, I don't have any problem in theory with these types of agreements. I think it makes some sense uh, to, to just give everybody a little bit of peace of mind what's going to happen. But you should know legally what you can get away with in these kind of agreements and what you can't. In other words, what's enforceable and what's not. So uh, if you want a referral, give me a shout. 614-224-6142. We'll get you to somebody. All right. Steve Palmer, ladies and gentlemen, on this show each and every Wednesday. Steve, have a awesome Thanksgiving holiday, man. Hey, thank you very much. And you guys do the same. I'm going to guess that's their second marriage for both. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, it's got to be. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, another round of great questions out of Blitz there. I mean, boy. Wow. Uh, just uh, on and on and on. I mean, I, going back, like the first one was the guidance counselor thing. That's um, this is again. I, I hate to I hate to harp on this thing so hard, but it's like I hate government intervention of stuff like that. Like, and I and I can see where the guidance counselor probably doesn't know where the line. Is mm-hmm. because they have so much pressure to report this yeah, stuff. Right, they really do, and yeah. I I kind of wonder if he was citing on the but but to put words in her mouth. That's a that, that's too far. So like uh, Brett just said, uh, my son who graduated from uh, Johns Hopkins, another good example. Um, uh, the magazine rolled in uh, the mailbox. I still get his mail. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, he lives in Texas now, and I get his mail as long in, as you don't get in the bills. Johnstown. Right. <laughs> I get some of the bills. Hey, dog, I get some of the bills. So anyway, uh, magazine rolls in. There's a big article about doctors and guns. And, you know, there's this thing now, right? Um, so, you know, if you go into Ohio State or Riverside or, you know, Mount Carmel or wherever you go, 
you're very likely to just in the course of your interview to be asked if there's firearms in the home and uh, maybe a few uh, uh, follow-up penetrating questions about use of firearms and you know and then the, it, it, and doctors are being uh, forced sometimes by legislation, sometimes regulation, but uh, they're being forced to get into areas of your life. And yeah. it, it's, it's like this guidance counselor, you know, they're, they're, uh, some of this is compulsory and uh, you know, they're, they're creating a professional responsibility standard that if the doctor doesn't ask those questions or the screener for the hospital or your, you know, your, your general practitioner office, if they don't go over those issues, then they've left something out that they could be liable for. Yeah. And th- these mandatory reporter laws are, are tough that way because look, like we were talking about it off the air, Brett and I, it's like the, the aim is good, right? You want to say it's awesome. What a great goal. We're going right. to, so if a, if a child discloses some sort of abuse and we want to make sure that gets reported right. uh, and we want to make sure that, um, that the child gets the help and, and the abuse stops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have to ask, all right, so what are the unintended consequences of that? You get Now you get sort of hall monetary uh, yeah. uh, officials right. digging into your world and making reports that you have to deal with. And then you would have to ask, what if we didn't have this rule? How many reports uh, were not made because they weren't mandatory? It's like, and on which side does the uh, which side are we going to uh, allow for the error on? Are we going to are we going to allow for reporting of all sorts of things that shouldn't ever be reported and and put people's lives in jeopardy? Are we just going to say you have to report everything you hear? And then you get this problem. It's like what is the counselor privilege here? Because you, you know that comes at a cost. Yeah. It, it, you know you, the things that you're you're saying to counselors is typically privileged, unless they're mandatory reporters, and maybe not so much. So you you have this um you have this idea of uh, we're going to create mandatory reporters and it sounds good. There's always unintended consequences. And I think, you know, if everything this guy says is true and you know, you can take that for what it's worth, yeah. uh, then, uh, then this is one of those situations. So, but it's, it's uh, my problem is the irrationality of legislators or regulators imposing their agenda on, on people like doctors. Yeah. Okay. And I'll give you an example. So this Daryl Brooks guy that just mowed through a, a, a parade of uh, Christmas uh, celebration uh, up there in Waukesha, okay, uh, he had also tried to run down, I believe, his wife or his girlfriend with the same red SUV, okay? Mm-hmm. So he is he has an issue, right, using a, a car to try to kill people, okay? He's just a violent guy. Okay. Right. Well, there are a lot more deaths due to automobiles than guns. Oh, I mean, it's off the scale. It's way more. Sure. People die from... By an enormous margin. By an enormous margin, whether they're drunk or high or, or eating a cheeseburger or putting on mascara or whatever the hell they're doing, they're distracted, they're, they're incapacitated, and you know they're using the cell phone and they're mowing down people, either intentionally or negligently. So why aren't doctor... Why do... When I go to the doctor, why is he asking me about firearms? Why isn't he asking me, hey, Norm, are you a shitty driver? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Why isn't there that discussion? Because that's where there's a lot more deaths. Or why isn't he asking me about precancerous 
habits. Like, hey, Norm, do you, you know, are you uh, sniffing glue? Well, even to your point, okay, these medications that you're taking, are you driving while you're taking these medications? 100%. Why are we having gun discussions? That's a legitimate question. Those are legitimate questions. Right. Or why, why would you mandate, why would any governmental official ever think that mandating a doctor uh, to ask certain questions is good. You know, it, like, do they think they know better about I mean, the healthcare my, than, than the doctor does? My doctor's known me for 20 years. Okay. He knows my personality. He can, he, he can even sense when I'm depressed. He can sense lots of things, you know, why not just let him practice the art of medicine? Yeah. Right. Well, I, I mean, agree. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is it. And it's the same. Every time you do this, it just, it, you can't, I have a couple rules. We were talking about this off the air a little bit before. It's like you can't just create a new law and regulate something and then say that that's going to prevent the conduct. It's not going to happen. It just is going to create another problem that you're going to have to resolve. And most of the corollary to that is most of the stuff that we don't like or that we think should be against the law already is. So if you're going to create a hate crime, for instance, it's already illegal to beat somebody up and assault the crap out of them and, and, and put them in the hospital. It's already right. a crime, and it's a serious one, and there's plenty of punishment for it. Making it that plus a hate crime is only just uh, stoking the political fires. It doesn't change the fact that people are going to commit hate crimes. All you're doing is putting the government officials who are prosecuting and enforcing the law in a situation where they have to make the call, is this a hate crime or not a hate crime, and what are the consequences of that? Well, and who gives a rat? So Who cares, right. So I'm laying on a slab being embalmed, okay? Do I, does my, does the norm of ghosts give a rat's rectum, right, if if the guy that shot me robbing my house uh, shot me because he he hates people with swarthy skin, you know, I'm, I'm, you are sort of swarthy. Yeah, I'm swarthy. I'm, I'm, you know, like you didn't I'm shave. I mean, look at you. A very Mediterranean <laughs> looking. And maybe the guy comes in and, and you know, and he, and, he, and he just hates people that look Mediterranean with dark black curly hair. So. And, you, and you looked at him cross-eyed, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. So so he hates me. Okay. He kills me. Versus a guy who just comes in and he goes, hey, man, I just don't want any witnesses. And, he, you know, it's a clinical decision. He just pops me. OK. Yeah, but, but you just missed another statistic <laughs> they can click off on. Yeah. yeah. You and know, there, there are two of them there versus right. the one. Well, what, what difference know. does it make in terms of their sentence? What difference? Do, well, why should it make a difference is what I'm asking. It doesn't. It should it, not make ridic- a difference. Or, it should not. Or what if I'm what if I'm one of these prestigious social figures, right? So we have like accelerators, you kill a cop, you kill a judge, you kill this person, you know, like special classes of people. Well, I'm sorry, if you kill my grandmother, right, she's just as special as a, as a county judge. All I right, mean, so I, that's it's just ridiculous. You've, you've just raised it. I was thinking the same, going it's in the ridiculous. same direction. It's and a I, human life. And I hadn't sorted it out yet, but I, I know your opinion now. So the question is like, if I uh, shoot a police officer is that should that be more serious than if I shoot just a citizen or absolutely I, not? Or I'll say this a lot. Here's a, here's a big one that happens all the time. And I love cops. Absolutely not. It, Their lives are. I think all the penalties should be harsh. Okay, whether you kill my grandma or you kill a cop, right? Sure. I hey, I'm a swinging. I'm 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 a, I'm, and, and I'm a swinging a, from the noose. Judge, and that's man. not a good. That's not a good example because that is pretty much the same penalty. Like you kill somebody, it's you know the, yeah. the, that's pretty obvious. It the, should be the weird or the the dicier one is this. If I spit on you, it's a it's an assault. It's a misdemeanor in the first degree. Now, if I spit on you and I have AIDS or something, that could that could elevate it to mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, or if I, I give, if I do it intentionally to give you an infectious disease, that could change the equation. Well, it's like throwing but, acid on yeah. me versus throwing water. Yeah. So, but assume it's just I'm spitting on you because you're a swarthy Mediterranean-looking guy. Right. And then I turn around right next to you. I got Brett, who happens to carry a badge, and he's a law enforcement officer, and I spit on him right next to you. Well, I've committed a misdemeanor by spitting on you, Norm. Yeah. And if Brett happens to be a police officer carrying a badge and I spit on Brett, well, now it's a felony. Now it's a, the yeah. misdemeanor assault becomes a felonious assault. It becomes yeah, an F4. Ri- that, that's ridiculous. And, you know, you could say it might make sense to draw a distinction if a police officer is in the course of duty and you're doing something to impede that. But then my response is, well, there's already a separate crime for that, right? There is. Right. You know, if you're sure resisting am. a felony arrest, then right. that's got a problem. If you're um, intervening in a police officer's arrest of somebody else, well, that's already a, an issue. So, you know, there's almost always a crime to address the things that the legislative body wants to address even more for political reasons. Yeah, right. Did, did the, the the elevated situation with, with cops, police enforcement people, whatever, Judges. Is, is, is that an evolution over time that that occurred or uh, is that an assault on a peace officer? I'd have to look at the legislative history, curious. but yeah, yeah. at okay. some point would, they just said a simple assault on a police officer is a felony, no matter well, what. Well, yeah. we've made all these, it, I, I think it's, I think it's, evol- uh, what, what's the right word? Evolutionary. I, yeah. I think we've, we, we, we started out with, okay, gosh, it's really a horrible thing. Obviously, if you assassinate uh, the president, the vice president, the head of the United Nations, or you know what, a head of state, and then and then so so we have you know like heightened penalties for all this kind of stuff, and then and then it's and then it's worked its way down. So now we have special, you know, judges can carry, uh, they can uh, if you kill a judge, it's this and that. It it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's it's wrong to kill a judge. It's wrong to kill my grandma. It's wrong to kill. You know the the immigrant store owner down the street. It's it's wrong to kill anybody, and I don't understand. I, I don't understand the philosophy of creating classes of protection. Well, again, on murder, it's all going to be about the same. So you have to get down to like these assaults that yeah, that's there's a fine. huge difference. That's fine. That's and fine. then and the, so, but we have to. There's also a distinction that we're sort of implicitly discussing, but not talking about it. It's, it's the sentencing guidelines. You have, well, you have, you have these crimes that become enhanced because of your, my, or the criminal's intent. And then you have crimes that become enhanced because of the, who is the victim of the crime. Right. So, or the status of the crime. So if I commit a theft and I'm a public official, right. that's a more serious theft. That's always a felony. If I commit a theft of a credit card, that's always a felony, even if the even if I didn't steal more than five hundred or whatever the value right. of a misdemeanor felony distinction right. is. Right. And then I have this other we have these other distinctions. Like if I'm going to attack Norm because he's a swarthy Mediterranean uh, uh, evil person, then that's a hate crime. But you have to delineate that or define that based on what's going on in my head. Right. Um, that's a harder. That's a far bigger problem to me because at least on the other ones, you can point to it and say, all right, well, there's a definitive fact that is provable or not provable and it's written in it's written in the code. I don't agree with it, but it's it's an easier jump for me than saying I'm going to enhance a crime based on my perceived hate uh, based on some other animus right. when it's already a really serious crime anyway. I, I, so the perfect is, example of what you're talking about about intent and trying to drill down into somebody's intent is um, is the um, uh, the the, the uh, oh gosh um, <laughs> The, uh, the killing of George Floyd. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So they were never able, okay, because maybe maybe the guy doesn't 
have any animus at all towards uh, people of color, black folks. Sure. Uh, you know, but they, the, uh, uh, what was his name? Chauvin. 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 Yeah. They were never able, to, they didn't, as far as I remember, now maybe they did, but I don't think one of the counts was a hate crime. It was not. Um, and, and it's probably because he just didn't say anything. There was, there was no announcement by him. So, you know, I mean, if, if, if whether somebody gets uh, additional years in prison comes down to whether or not they're mouthy, that's ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous per se that, you know, one guy happens to say in the course of shooting and witnesses hear him, hey, I'm going to shoot you, you word, and then pulls a trigger yeah. versus the other guy is, is maybe a total clan wizard, right? You know, but it's all secret. Or maybe he's some kind of Nazi dude, and and he just doesn't say anything and shoots the, yeah. the, the victim. Well, hey, I don't care what the guy said while he did it. He killed the guy. Yeah, so, it's murder. So, the, it's murder. Yeah. so like, the, yeah. the penalty should be the same. Yeah, and, and I think that played out in the Rittenhouse. It's ridiculous. It, 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 trial, if you think about it, because they had tons of information prior that he was doing the white power signal and all this kind of stuff prior. So he had... People were thinking, okay, yes, yeah. but he uh, walked out of that yeah. without a verdict. Well, not, not, well, without not a verdict, guilty. You're yeah. not guilty. Yeah. So I, I think the filter's there, it's, right? There's already, like I said, it, it, and I can't harp on this enough, all these crimes already exist. It's already a crime to kill right. somebody. Yeah. And you get life right. in prison for doing it. Yeah. And it, there's, a, there's a few unintended consequences that occur, um, not the least of which is like the, the political nightmare of chaos that, that ensues when somebody calls it a hate crime. But, you know, you, you, you risk other things, but. Well, it's like, virtue signaling by the legislature. Right. Well, I mean, let's face it. You got, you've got people in the Ohio General Assembly or in the U.S. Congress that like to parade around how virtuous they are. And so they go get a special accelerator, a sentencing accelerator, you know, put into the law to appease a certain group, whether it's, you know, the alphabet soup, you know, mafia, whether it's, uh, you know, some other protest group. And then they get to, they get to go back to that group and say, see, you know, whether it's migrant workers or whatever. Look slight, what I did for you. Look what, what I, I did, did for you. For you. Yeah. And it's, it's just, and it's, it's a comedy. It's and, and what you leave, what you leave out is it's, what you're doing then is you're discounting the value of everybody else's life. You're, you're basically saying these people are special. Their lives count for more than these other people. You're, what you're doing is engineering outcomes, and you, that's where it gets dangerous. So you, you could say I want equity versus I want equal justice, and those are two different terms. So it, to me, having the same standard for everybody is absolutely critical to our legal system. Wasn't that? Absolutely critical. Wasn't that? ensconced in the constitution equal protection equal protection of law not equal outcomes as a result of the application law but equal equal protection protection of law right and you know that's going to mean that you're going to have different outcomes in various cases you're just going to but equal protection to me steve so if i'm reading the constitution if i'm interpreting that now this is norm mr flunky law school guy you know, but I always believed that the Constitution was written for common people. I always believed that the Constitution was written so a farmer, it, you know, a literate farmer in, in revolutionary times, reading, you know, post-revolutionary times, 17, you know, 90, 
you know, he could read the Constitution, and if he's literate enough to read Ben Franklin's newspaper, he could read the Constitution. And what it said was patently obvious. So, you know, equal protection under the law to me means that uh, if, if, if I'm injured or killed, assaulted, whatever, that the law is going to the sentencing guidelines, the, 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 the various uh, proofs, the standards, what is going to apply to me, a, a straight, hetero, whatever, you know, like that stupid Microsoft commercial where I have to announce what I'm wearing today and that I'm hetero and that I answer to him and he, you know, and all that ridiculous stuff. It should apply to me just the same as it would apply to a flaming homosexual guy who's proud of that, who's gay, who's come out and he's parading and he's going down the street and he's, you know, he's telling everybody he's gay and then he gets killed. He should be protected. I should be protected exactly the same. That's why why justice is blindfolded, right? It should be blind. It should be blind. Why, Why do we have special protections for that dude and not for me? Well, let me unpack some of the stuff that we just kicked around. The first is, it's like, uh, back to Shalvin. Uh, I remember the first reaction I had to that, uh, Jeff, former employee of Yavich and Palmer, great lawyer and was sat at the show for a long time. I te- he, te- he texted me, did you see this video? And I said, yeah. I said, it doesn't look so good. It looks horrible. And, uh, and uh, he goes, yeah, it does. And I said, I wonder if it was race related. And, you know, he, it stopped him in his tracks because he, he presumed that it was. And I said, and then uh, he goes, I don't need to know that. It's so obvious. And I thought, well, it's not so obvious to me uh, that this happened only because Floyd happened to be of a certain skin color. That wasn't so obvious to me that that's what was going on there at all. Um, there were other things going on that I thought were obvious. And I thought that uh, Shalvin did a horrible job being a policeman that day. Oh, um, all those guys did. Yeah. Well, they had Floyd in the cop car. Yep. They could have shut the, well, actually, I think the door was shut at one point. The window was yeah. down. But, I mean, they had him in the car. All they had to do was click lock on the and doors. keep him in the car. And take him to the, yep. the, to the news gal. And they didn't. And What uh, was that about? They took him back out. And then they and then they put it. He put, put his uh, did that chokehold. Yeah, it, it was it was just an absurd, absurd, uh, just string of events that yeah. didn't need to happen. No, and uh, you know you're always sometimes people are safer in cuffs under arrest in the cruiser. Yeah, uh, than they are in other scenarios, especially yeah. a medically compromised yeah. guy like yeah. Mr. Floyd. I mean, I mean, he, yeah, there's nothing in that back that you're going to get hurt on. Well, I mean, you're going to cut your head if you start banging it on things, but a, eventually but, you're not going to kill yourself. Well, he, right. He, well, what was, he or was, you're not going to get killed. Yeah, well, he exactly. was, <laughs> what wasn't, I know you have a string going here, so, so keep your thought, okay. but wasn't he also, um, he was, he was on something, right? Oh, didn't, yeah, he was didn't, high, didn't the yeah, autopsy yeah. say that part issues. of the reason he died was something he ingested? Yeah, there was a causation issue in that case, and I never quite Con- understood. Contributed the, to it. Yeah, either contributed to it or the, the defense would have said, I think, that it caused Completely it. Completely caused it. Yeah, but uh, so. But I mean, what, first thing what Chauvin is, did was outrageous. Uh, and, horrible. He um, didn't need to do any of it. Uh, exactly. You know, he didn't have to. And I, you can't, even if he didn't cause a death, it didn't have to happen. So no. uh, that's that. But, you know, we don't know what was in his mind, but everybody presumed what was in his mind and made that sort of a racist hate crime. And what worried me with that case, uh, and I said it here on the show, it's like they may they overreached a little bit. It's like if you try to prosecute somebody for something like that to make it a political crime that right. isn't, right. then you risk losing everything. You know, you risk having somebody go away free. 
And yeah. because, you know, I gave my closing and opening opening statement and closing argument in that case a dozen times, like they tried to make this something other than what it was and it's disingenuous. Now, what does that do to the entire case? And uh, you risk it. That's when I can come in and win cases. But, you know, the other thing I wanted to unpack there, and I've already lost it, but that's all right. Um, we were talking, uh, oh, we were talking about words and what people say when they pull the trigger. And this has always been an important distinction to me. Like you can, you can be um, uh, Chappelle and make a, an offensive joke uh, on transgenderism or race or whatever. Uh, and the words may be offensive. They may be um, uh, off color. They might be, uh, you know, the taboo or whatever they are. But words aren't racist. So people can say things that are, that are what they are and not be racist they might be offensive assholes. They might be other things and they may be racist, but it doesn't make them racist. Now you could be like you said, Norm, the quiet KKK guy. That's the guy you worry about. That's the guy that's not going to tell you he's racist. That's the guy that's not going to uh, show it. He's going to act on it in really, really dangerous ways. And we have created a situation where uh, we're punishing those who say things without bad intent at all. And it, it deflects, it's creating a, a big uh, void in the middle. You know, people are just pushing off to the extremes because, you know, the tr- the real racist people out there aren't going to tell you, you know, generally speaking. Or if they do tell you, you don't have to worry about them because you know who they are. Uh, and it's uh, the ones that are, you know, Chappelle for making a joke uh, in a comedy routine. It's like, you know, what, that guy's harmless. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to he's not going to act on it. It's like he's never going to hurt anybody uh, because he because of that joke or that joke doesn't mean that he's going to hurt somebody. Um, and, and we've we've entered this situation or this 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 weird vortex in our system where somehow the things you say uh, automatically become a certain you become a racist or you're a sexist or you're a bigot, whatever it is. Now, you might be an offensive asshole and you might be racist and all those things, but not necessarily. And even if you are, people hate me for this one too. Like, I don't care if we have every, if every cop on the street happens to be a racist, if they don't act on it. Right, right, right. right. If they don't act on it, I don't care. If you act on it, then let's come down on it and you can prove it. it, But is it hard to not act on racism though? I I guess that'd be the question. Well, the system is in place. There's, There's a system in place. So if is it hard not to act on it? I don't know. Um, yeah. On the other hand, uh, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, I. I but how are I you get, ever going to know? I, that's that's the question, though. Yeah. Well, that's exactly well, right. I know. I mean, the, the pro- how do you prove that? You can never yeah. prove it. So if you can just say, look, if we're going to we're going to look at each individual case, and if the law was violated on this case, if this is an illegal search, if this was an illegal seizure, if the police overstepped the constitutional bounds. We're going to enforce it. And not only that, we're going to enforce it the way we're supposed to. We're going to come out. We're going to suppress the evidence. We're going to dismiss the case. We're going to do whatever we need to do because the police overextended and they violated the Fourth Amendment or they violated the Sixth Amendment or they violated some other constitutional or statutory protection. And then we already, like all those rules are in place. place. And we have gone through a decade of my legal career defending people where that stuff has not been enforced. And I'm sorry to say to all the conservatives out there, by and large, it happened under the conservative regimes, under this be hard, tough on crime, which sort of morphed into uh, these cops have a tough job. Um, you know, don't quit picking on them for violating the rules. Well, screw you. 
you know, I, I love police. I have a lot of police officers who are, my, sure. who are good friends. I think there's a lot of them who are not my good friends for good reasons. And there's a lot of people that uh, are radio people, same way. And a lot of people who do sure. what you do, know, I, I don't care. Right. Your status as a police officer has nothing to do with whether I like you or not. Yeah. Um, but we went through a decade of time or more where courts protected cops. Oh, yeah. Who overstepped the bounds, like oh, your yeah. license mm-hmm. plate thing or right. whatever right. you had in New Albany. It's like, sure. and once we did that, now you let the camel in the tent. Now the police can run. They, they had this intent that they can run roughshod. Yeah. And uh, it backfires. So, it, you know, if you could, be a, you could be a racist cop, but you still can't violate the Fourth Amendment when no. you're doing your job. No. Yeah. And fine. And, yeah. uh, you know, Mark Satawa always says this. Uh, he's the lawyer we were talking about in Michigan. He's like, you know, they're, like, no matter what uh, the old school judges up in Detroit may or may not have been racist whatevers. But uh, they enforce the rules. You know, that's it. So you don't break the rules and you throw the evidence out and you have a lot more parity in outcomes that way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, they threw James Earl Ray in, in, into prison for life for killing Martin Luther King. Okay. Yep. So, you know, there was no, uh, there was no uh, racial accelerator. He clearly did it because he was a racist. Mm-hmm. He clearly did it because he hated black people. He clearly did it to take out the 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 preeminent spokesperson for uh, civil rights for disenfranchised black folks. And um, you know, I don't understand exactly. You know, because I don't know the history of that trial. I don't know why he wasn't sentenced to death. I wish he was, or or maybe maybe he was waiting. Uh, to be put to death, and he and he died uh, in the in the in, during the pendency. I yep. don't know, but if there was ever anybody uh, that you would apply one of these uh, accelerators to, I mean that, that had I mean that was like killing Christ, or that was like killing Gandhi, yeah. or, or killing um, uh, Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, you, you well, and and that to that end too. I mean, now yeah. that you, you peel the onion with the Kennedy, that may have been a racist move too. Yeah, and it's like. You know, there he was prosecuted. It was what it was, and uh, like you said, it didn't have to be treated any differently. No, he still he was. No, still, it was an assassination, yeah. and and he was prosecuted. For yeah, it. and I guess maybe what we're really saying, and and maybe what bothered me the most about some of the blowback on Rittenhouse is along these lines, is that we're not going to ever, from the governmental uh, cloud above, legislate and mandate how people think. And if you if you do believe that that can be done with a law, then you have to sort of carry out the law all the way to its extreme. So, you know, we saw George Orwell in 1984. There's this scene where it's not good enough that that um, who is the protagonist? I forget it. Winston. Winston. It's mm-hmm. not good enough that Winston said two plus two equals five. He had to believe it. Yeah. And and they tortured him with rats, like his worst thing. And they let rats crawl on him and did all this stuff until he finally. Uh, he said two plus two is five. And he goes, no, Winston, you have to believe that two plus two is five. And, you know, he, they were eventually able to do that. So think of the extreme that that took to change somebody's belief by force like that. You can't do it. So calling it a crime doesn't change that somebody's a racist. Calling it a crime doesn't change that somebody's a bigot. Calling it a crime that somebody killed somebody because they hated them is not going to change the next guy from killing somebody because they hate him. Well, what we're doing in, the, in our society today, Steve, is – we are trying to take thoughts, and, and I think this is, this is where you're, you're going with this. 
we, we are trying to socially, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on television, whether it's in the newspapers, whether it's on Facebook, we are trying, and, and, and now it's showing up in, in sentencing, we are trying to take people's attitudes and opinions and criminalize them or, or reducing the amount of their civil rights, their, their, their first amendment rights, uh, their, maybe their second amendment rights based on, you know, this idea that there's a red flag, you go take somebody's guns because they have a certain opinion, for example, uh, or, or their speech on Twitter or Facebook or on YouTube, but the, the way they take down people in the public square, which is what I argue those are. So, my biggest problem is, you know, you're, 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 I'm, I'm speaking as a conservative who actively goes out to places like the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, Alabama, and seeks out education about people who have been oppressed. And I study that, and I, and I hate oppression. I hate, I hated slavery. I, 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 I hated everything I studied. Uh, about about uh, people being oppressed, whether they're Irish being oppressed by the the Brits, whether it's you know the uh, Armenians being oppressed by the Turks, wh- whatever it is in history, whether it's uh, black folks being um, oppressed by uh, black chieftains that took them uh, a prisoner and then sold them to the Dutch or or to other slave traders, and then they were oppressed over here by you know, uh, immigrant Brits and Scots that, that had plantations. So I, I hate all that stuff. But what I hate also, what I can't, what I just cannot understand is how, so I have the classic ACLU ethic where I defend the right of a Klansman or a Nazi or some other despicable human being to spew out the filth that they want to, you, 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 in this country, you're allowed to be a racist. So I think uh, Don Lemon and Joy Reid, for example, on CNN are absolute racists. Yes. That's my opinion. Okay, I'm allowed to have that opinion. I think they're racist. They probably think I'm one. Uh, regardless, we're both allowed to have those opinions. We're both, and they're allowed to have their racist opinions, which I think are racist. You know, when you say like all black, all white people are predisposed and, and, and from birth, you know, have some kind of DNA in them, uh, that, that they're not even taught racism. They are racist from birth, okay? If you say that, you're a nut. You're, you're, an, you're an imbecile right. if you say something. It's disingenuous. Like it's, it's, Either, if you believe it, you're well, a lunatic. It's hatred. Or, it's hatred of white people because of their skin color. It's just as wrong as anybody hating black okay. folks because of their skin color. But yet, Steve, in this country, you should have the right to be a racist. You should have the right to be a sexist. You should have the right to be a homophobe. What you don't have the right to do is to interfere with somebody else's civil rights because you have that attitude. It is the action. But we are trying to criminalize thought. Mm -hmm. And what that is doing in our society, in my opinion, by trying to tell people that they can't have their biases and their prejudices and, and, and by trying to beat that out of them and tell them that they're bad people, instead of educating them and embracing them and teaching them, like I've been educated and embraced and taught, and, and, and seek that out still in my life, instead of doing that, we are badgering people 
back into a corner. And I think we're creating racism. We are. I, there's no we're question creating, about it. We're creating, we are taking people who otherwise wouldn't be racist. We're telling, we, by, by telling white boys in, in, great, in elementary school, telling them that you're the oppressors and, and little Billy over here who has a different skin color, he's a victim. And you're, 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 well, wait a minute, we're on the same basketball team or baseball team. We, we, Billy's my, my best friend. Well, no, no, actually you're Billy's oppressor. We're creating racism. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, with the CRT and all the stuff we're doing, there was a, I'm not going to mention names, but there was a guy in college. Uh, we, we would have these, uh, dorm room debates and they would get heated, you know, just whatever it was, whatever, uh, sometimes academic, sometimes not so academic argument about something or other. And there was always the guy that we all know that is never going to agree. He's a great debater. He's a great arguer. He's always louder, maybe a little bit more vocal than everybody else. And uh, he's going to walk away no matter what. You're never going to convince him. And if he did, he's never going to admit that he was wrong. But what I realized, and this sort of is where I honed my, my verbal skills in the dorm rooms, I realized quickly, it's like I'm never going to gain any ground on that guy. But I can convince everybody else in the room that he's wrong. Yeah. And that was far more effective. Absolutely. And that is that is the quintessential heart of freedom of speech. Like freedom of speech and open debate at a podcast table in a dorm room. On campus. On You're campus. You're basically turning a majority into a minority. Right. So uh, the yeah. possibility yep. of that's it. right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Brett. And if you air out a stupid idea in that <laughs> environment, you're gonna get the wrath that only your uh your uh, testosterone-laden college peers can can inflict on you. You know, it's like if you say something stupid in that environment, you're going to get beat down verbally by your buddies and never forget about and it. And never forget about oh, it. Oh, yeah. well, that's that's right. that's the whole trick between right. behind Crowder's thing, right? Yeah, he put up a sign on a college campus and basically says institutional sexism doesn't exist. Right, prove, prove me wrong. wrong. Yeah, right. Have a debate. Have a have a freaking debate. Have a debate and without calling Crowder. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not Crowder's defense attorney, but without just saying, oh, you're a sexist, you're, you're a hater, you're, you're a racist or whatever, and just dismiss him out of hand, engage him. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and so I, now we've got this scenario where freedom of speech, the dorm room is not happening in the dorm room. It's happening on Facebook or it's happening on right. Twitter or wherever. And if you're going to suppress the bad guys or the people with dumb ideas and just push them off, well, you know, that's when the bad ideas get a seed and they, or that's when that seed of a bad idea begins to grow. It, it grows unchecked. Nobody stamps it down. Nobody says, hey, look, jackass, you're right. wrong and here's why. Right. Or you're a moron and here's why. Well, look where the neo-Nazi skinhead problem arose. Yeah. Uh, proof to your point, Steve, it arose in West Germany post-World War II. Why? Because any mention of the Third Reich Mein Kampf, all these, all the, all the history that, that the Germans had just lived through was made illegal. You couldn't, you couldn't get those materials. You couldn't study them. And so there was an allure to it. And an you, underground, right? There was, a, there was an allure to it. And all of a sudden you have a skinhead movement in the very same state, m- meaning country, the very same country that gave us the Third Reich is where the skinheads started up. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, within 25 years or 30 years of the end of World War II, you had this attraction 
to, to, an, to a sick ideology because you weren't allowed to study it if you were a German. You could, you could not expose it. You couldn't bring it out into the open. You, you, all, all you had was, you know, uh, a series of books written by victims and, and then memoirs by German generals and, and battlefield memoirs. But you couldn't really have a discussion in Germany about uh, how literally sick Mein Kampf was. Yeah. And and that's But you could problem. in America. You yeah. could here. And it's gonna it's going that stuff's gonna go underground. It's gonna it's be been is. proven yeah. over and over, over and over and over again. again. The the yeah. bringing it out into the light is a disinfectant. Yeah, the sunshine kills right. all that mold, right? That's it's just right. it's like yes. it kills that's that right. bacteria. Take take the scab off, you know, let it bleed, get it out in the open, let's have a discussion. And I cannot believe a hundred and 75 years after Lincoln emancipated the slaves that we're having some of these bonehead discussions that we're having now. It's like nobody reads history. Nobody has had any of these discussions and it be, it, it, it boggles my mind. I, I feel like the civil war just happened last year and, and, and we're in some kind of, you know, restoration phase or something like we're just coming out of this. This is almost ancient history. And it feels manufactured in, it feels like politicians are using this as a power lever to get ground, you know, and, and you can, you can create, and I think they did in a lot of ways, politicians instigated a lot of the strife and a lot of the unrest that happened last summer or two summers ago now, uh, and the same with January 6th, right? It, it's, it's the same problem on both ends. And instead of just saying, look, at a, at a local level, on a podcast, on Twitter, on Facebook, let's, let's, let's hash this out. So if you think for some reason the color skin impacts somebody's viability as a human being, well, then I can do two things with that. I can just ignore you forever, and, and I can do several things. Say I ignore you and never give you any time of day. Um, you know, that's one option. The other option is I sit there and talk to you. And if I find that you're one of these people, Norm, like swarthy as you are, that just <laughs> you can't be fixed. And, but Brett can, so I can sit here and I can debate you all day long. And Brett's going to walk away and say, boy, boy, Norm's a lost cause, but, uh, and he knows why, because your ideas are stupid. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to ever work. And then you also might be somebody who is blessed with God given human reason. And you may change your mind. And I may change my mind and we might, and the result of that clash of ideas come out with something better. Um, and, or we could shove it all underground, make it all illegal. And then there is no exposure to the sun. The bacteria gets to grow. And now you have lunatics on the fringes and uh, it's a mess. And I think that's where we're going. Well, I, yeah. And another good example is that all the COVID-19 pro con, whatever it might be, is being squashed Yes. Facebook. Yeah. The social media. No debate. So the debate is now and the misinformation or disinformation or the true information, whatever you want to classify it, you know, is going to podcasting. New York Times comes out a couple weeks ago saying we need to stop, start policing podcasts because all that information is now going to podcasts. Wow. Did they really? Unbelievable. They bring bring this idea out that we should we should be monitoring what's being said on podcasts. Think of the arrogance of this. Unbelievable. And who is we? Like, who is going who to is, decide? Exactly. And tell me that that individual, that one human being that's going to have the authority to decide is somehow not uh, cursed 
with the same human flaw that the rest yeah. of us have. But the, right? the, but the, the example being, okay, so we're squashing all the this New conversation York, on New social media. This is a New York yeah, Times, yeah. Brett. So, so, yeah, all the social media is being squashed of this discussion. Yes. And it goes to podcast. That's the example we're saying. Right. Yep. It goes somewhere. So, so this discussion goes so, somewhere. So now we got to squash it on. So podcast. Joe Rogan can't talk to Sanjay Gupta about COVID nineteen. That, that's well, what that's what the New York Times because because they got to monitor that and then yeah. they they would want right. they would want uh, Rogan's. Uh, uh, who's he on? Yeah. He's on. That. Well, he he's a and 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 it's a good example, but maybe not a great example because Spotify owns his content. Right. But, basically, but New York Times would want Spotify to police because exactly. they, they've been calling for that exactly to tone down Joe Rogan, for exactly. example. They, they hey, you need to do something about that yeah. guy. Yeah, right? which which is why now, at the end of his contract, he's probably going to walk out of that. Yeah, he's done. Well, he's well, done. What I love about you bringing up the New York Times. And, and I think Steve and I touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> My podcast I was, I was AWOL, so you probably did. <laughs> but, but, but the New York Times, the New York Times that you just mentioned, went back and doctored two and three and four-year-old articles about the origins of Russiagate with uh, Trump. Okay? In other words... They had articles that named the sources for the FBI's um, uh, FISA warrants, okay? Uh, they, they named uh, some Russian guy. Uh, it, they named the wrong guy in their articles, and it turned out the right guy, which just uh, – he was just indicted, in fact, uh, by John Durham. Uh, the, the correct guy had ties to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Okay, so what the New York Times did, now if you can believe this, this is like, this can only happen in, in today's world where you have electronic uh, news archives. Okay, right. so if you go back to those original New York Times, if you go on the New York Times website and you go back and try to read those original three and four and two year old uh, articles where all of this sourcing was named, the New York Times has doctored. They have gone back and, if you will, corrected and deleted and added in the name of the correct source. Yeah, isn't the, that amazing? I mean, are, are you kidding me? Like, so, like, if you go back 100 years ago to the New York Times, right, and they got something wrong, it would be on Microfish right. up, up there at the library, right? Yeah. The Columbus Public Library, you could look up the New York Times and you could find, oh, they made a mistake about World War One, or, 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 or the Great Society or uh, the New Deal or whatever you're researching. But if you go back 100 years from now and try to research the origins of, of this Russiagate with Trump, Trump is a you know, Putin's puppet and all this stuff, all these theories— you're going to read doctored New York Times yeah. articles. And, and that shows That's outrageous. That, and that shows yeah. their arrogance that, that everything they arrogance. put in word is gospel. Yeah. We yeah. are human, and those journalists news, are human. You've got to allow them to make a mistake. Well, the New point, evidence comes out. Right. New information comes but out. That maybe allowed, you were wrong at that point in time. But they're allowed to retros, retroactively and retrospectively Okay, amend their errors, their mistakes, and basically perfect their record, right? Sure. This is the Ministry of Truth, right? Oh, this is 1984 yeah, stuff. Yeah. This is gorgeous. Well, yeah. but, but you and I aren't. You and I, on this silly little podcast, right. talking to 50 friends out there that we you mean know. like 50,000. 50,000 that we know. <laughs> we are not allowed to, you know, we would yeah. be hauled into the truth jail, 
right? Because Norm, you know, said something that, you know, yeah. oh, you're got not the, allowed to retract it either yeah, because well, you're on record. Yeah, exactly. Unbel- it's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. No, it's a it's a dangerous, dangerous world we're in right now. And the, the idea that somehow the New York Times has a monopoly on truth and their opinion, because it, it's it's not fact. It's opinion. You know, they're, they're starting to you're, you're really starting to get a push to crack down on people's opinions on things. Sure. And once you do that, you have created in order to enforce it, you need a somebody to decide what is worthy and what is not what is right and what is wrong. And then B, you have to have an enforcement mechanism. And both those things are really, really dangerous. Yeah. I, I just watched this documentary. I don't even know why, but it was on uh, uh, Valkyrie, which was the operation to kill. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And it said, well, this is the companion to the movie. The Klaus, companion. Klaus von Stauffenberg. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, all right, I'm making dinner. I'll just turn this on and watch this while I'm making dinner. And it was, uh, it started with the the rise of uh, the National Fascist Party or the National Socialist Party, the fascists in Germany. And it sort of took this whole, it, it, it showed in, you know, 20 minutes how Hitler rose to power and how he basically was able to, uh, once he seized power, to indoctrinate the entire country into his philosophy that the Jews were the evil bad people that needed to be exterminated. And he did it by controlling the media. Um, he did it by portraying what he wanted to portray. And he just kept saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. And, saying it. and you know, it got to the point where people started to say, all right, well, that's just how it is. That, that's it. Sure. And, uh, it, you know, you can say if you want that you're the one person on the planet that is able to determine what is right and wrong, and I can control the flow of the media, and it's always going to be for the good of everybody, um, and then enforce it. Uh, but if you say that, think of the arrogance of, of, of what you're really saying, and think how absurd that really is to think that you are the one that has a monopoly on the truth, and, and your opinions are always right. Uh, you know, Hitler said that. Yeah, and, yeah. and people that control the narrative – uh, that that have a Joseph Goebbels, you know, to to assist them, you know, or a Jen Psaki, yep. you know, to assist them can do things like um, roll out uh, 50 million barrels coming out of the strategic oil reserve and try to convince the rest of us, right, that they're really doing something to help poor people when that's like two days supply of uh, uh, the consumption of oil. Yeah. It, it's a blip. It'll be gone. You know, like it might adjust uh, down there at Sheets or Kroger's, wherever you buy your gas, you might get a penny off tomorrow. But it's not going to make any difference at all. We're it's going a great f- news story on a Wednesday before Thanksgiving where the not, news cycle yeah. is dead we for are, four days. And we are, yeah. we're, we're heading to $5 a gallon I gas. think I think that move, we, we've just taken, this is, we'll call this an offshoot. We, we've, I, I think that move alone, like I, I'm not an economics expert, but I'm able to think. And it seems to me that the price of gasoline is premised upon the economic concept of scarcity. So the harder it is to get a product, the more the higher the price is going to go. Right. That's basic economics. Sure. Right? And if you are tapped in to the backup reserves, I think ultimately that creates more scarcity. Sure. Because it does. we have less. Right. And if you use that, we have more scarcity. So once it's gone, it's gone. And we know who filled that that strategic oil reserve up with super cheap oil, right? It was G- DJT. When he was president, he made the decision when oil was at an all-time low. Let's load it up, right. Let's fill that sucker. Well, let's have a little reserve in case right. there's a catastrophe. Yeah, and, do, you, do, you hear, do you hear Saki or, or, or uh, Biden saying, you know what, uh, God, we hate Trump, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I want to throw a bone his direction. 
Thanks, Don, for filling up the strategic oil reserve. Yeah, now we're going to use it. So, <laughs> But it's not, it, like you said, it, it may even cause a slight dip, a fragmented dip in the price. But ultimately, it's going to raise the price because now scarcity is even more so. Once that's sure. gone, you're like, oh, my gosh, we right. we burned up our last cans of soup in the cupboard. That means the next can is worth even more. Right. And uh, because there's less of it now. Well, they're rolling out the, the ridiculous narrative, right, that – that oh hey killing off the keystone and preventing uh, oil uh, uh, being pumped out of public lands and and denying uh, you know uh, offshore you know no, come on Norm that's not the reason gas prices are going up yeah it's OPEC oh it, well they've actually I mean we're going to blame OPEC well we uh, weren't even buying from OPEC well, during last uh, uh, during Elizabeth time. Warren has said it's because of American oil companies are price gouging right now oh yeah no, she, no, no. so she wants same a, with the turkey same people. with the turkey she wants an investigation into the poultry industry she wants an investigation into the oil uh, industry this is my because cutting off oil from from domestic sources right that that's why, uh, you know, that's not the reason. The reason why gas prices are going up is because, you know, uh, Rex Tillerson and his buddies in the oil industry went, now we're really going to screw these I, two. I, I, I didn't hear she wanted to investigate the turkey. Oh, the turkey people. Oh, yeah. And that's a total misunderstanding and not even getting what COVID has done to the supply chain in regards to what happened one year with the turkey supply. No one bought them or they had to kill a bunch of or didn't lay any eggs to raise them. We're still feeling the effects of yeah, this is, one year affecting another. I mean, affecting the strength another. of character. They have it's no take, idea. It's, it's taking me a lot of strength of character not to jump on the epithet that Trump usually associated with Elizabeth Warren because it is Thanksgiving. Right. And I and I want to think well, you know, Pocahontas is actually a heroine, like she 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 actually was a remarkable woman in real life. I would, I don't want to call somebody as daffy as as uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, by that name. Yeah, no, it's an insult. Right? That's an <laughs> if that's an insult to Pocahontas, who, who was right. actually a great lady. So it's it's such a it's such a fascinating study in socialism and why it doesn't work. We have bad government policy created a turkey shortage. And the bad government policy, or say there's no government policy, it just sort of happened. There's a turkey shortage, so now the turkey people need to spend more money in order to make more turkeys. Um, and now you're going to blame the turkey people for oh. charging too much. But beyond that, what really happened here is we have a we have a problem that is created as a result of bad government intervention into the economy. And you could say that COVID was un uh, COVID was uh, uh, unavoidable. All right, fine. But since then. We created the uh, unemployment incentives to keep people out of work. We have worked with the unions and the dock workers not to unload or to give them a whatever whatever it is that that contributes to the supply chain. Now, sure, we don't have truck drivers. We didn't have the ports open. We're about to kick and, the truck drivers out of their jobs yeah. if this mandate. And now we're going to create a mandate that's going to create even fewer jobs or create even less workers. And yeah. then, because of that, in order to get Brett his turkey, it cost me. $2 more per bird or whatever it is yeah. to do it. And instead of saying, well, uh, I understand the turkey people, that's a rough business. Uh, they're going to just have to get the birds there. It costs more. Uh, she is saying, no, you're gouging yeah. these Thanksgiving uh, celebrators by charging them two bucks more, a buck more a pound for bird, whatever it is. I right. don't know what it and, is. And next week, it won't even matter. It won't even matter. It's all it just news cycle. It won't even Gone. matter. Right. Because they just throw it out there and no follow-up with right. any regulation that's the a idea, good intention. Done. It, well, the idea yeah. is to besmirch 
the marketplace to be smirch right. the competitive. So don't buy open. the turkey if it's too expensive. Right. Have a ham. My grandmother. I had, mean, I'm uh, sorry. It's just you're not obligated. There's no gun to your head well, that you got to go buy a turkey no, for Brett, Thanksgiving. Brett, Brett, what I would say is Americans like I, I now I'm going to sound like I'm I'm doing a Hannity ramp uh, rant, but. Uh, it, it, I do, I do fundamentally want want to know when are the when are the American people going to, uh, well maybe next year in the midterms, but when are American people going to say I've had enough and right. and just so I know his polls are low, the administration's poll numbers are low, but I mean they're. And this is lunacy. This, this is what we're going through is lunacy. It's insanity. It's insanity. And you know my I was going to say my socialism is like this. My grandmother. Had Parkinson's. The Build Back Better is not going to cost any time. Who are, says that? Right. How does that happen? It's, it's, like, it's, it's free. It's free. It's free. Oh, it's free, by the way. Three and a half, three and a half trillion dollar. Once the government free. starts tinkering. I mean, what are they talking With about? things like uh, we're going to we're going to uh, create higher, we're going to create a minimum wage. So what that really does is it creates more unemployment because there are certain people that you're not going to hire because it costs too much to hire them. Uh, or it's going to create, and it's going to create, not and, but or not or, but and it's going to create higher prices because in order to get the same product out, I have to pay people more to do it. Right. So one way or another, there's a problem. So then what you have to do is you have to step in and say, well, this person's charging too much for the product. And they're saying, look, no, I'm not. So now you have to regulate why you think they're charging too much for the product. It's because they're evil people. So we're going to take that over and we're going to start tinkering over there. And then at the same time, you're creating scarcity of resources there. So somebody else has to charge more for theirs. Then you have to go over there. And this is my grandmother analogy with Parkinson's disease. At the end, she had Parkinson's and she used to joke about it. She's like, Look, my hand's shaking. She would hold her hand with this hand, and then her left foot would start to shake, and then she'd oh. put that under the couch, and her other foot would start mm. to shake, and then she would stop everything, and her head would start. In other words, there's always a problem. You cannot ever get ahead of it. And you know, I, say, I use the same analogy as a woodworker. Anybody who's ever tried to make a square frame, perfectly square frame, call it a picture frame, and say you make one cut that is a just a microcosm off, and you think, no worries, I'll just adjust that other cut. It's not quite 45. I'll make it, uh, the other one will be 45.001. All right. Well then it throws off the next corner and then you have to do the same thing. It throws off the next corner. You have to do the same thing. And then by the end, the pieces keep getting shorter because you have to keep cutting. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't do it. Um, you're better off just doing nothing and just, landscape into a portrait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're better off just having a, a small gap or starting over. The point is leave it alone. You know, the more you tinker, the worse it gets. You yeah. know, you can't well, because you're, you're avoiding the other issues that are in play. I yep. mean, right now there are fewer teenagers working than there ever have been Correct. because they don't want to work in a pressure cooker situation that a timer is on as soon as the order is placed at McDonald's. They're well, tired of it. They don't. They, they don't have to do it for sixteen, seventeen dollars an hour. Can, there's something to that. They, there's the problem and, and, is and this, the, and the corporation has developed that. That uh, Amazon, the same thing that you pee in a milk jug because you've got to get that order out. Here's the question: If they if if they don't have to work, they're not going to work. And and, and, and really we, we that created simple. that earlier. You're yes. exactly right. If they yeah. don't have to work. They don't want to work. Look, I didn't want necessarily. To, to do the jobs I did when I was younger. You know, it was hard-ass work Hell all yeah. day long, yeah. banging no nails yeah. or doing whatever. Right. I needed the money, and I worked. I didn't want to have to come to work today, but I needed the money. I'm going to work. Right. Um, and if I didn't have to, I, you know, human nature is sort of like You'll that. Take right? the day you wouldn't. off. You'll take the day off or yeah. whatever. And then you, you create that sort of gap for the longest, as long as they have, um, and the employers are just going to adjust. 
they're going to say screw it. Yeah, I'll pay. I'll pay the twenty grand for the automated stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. it's easier for me. Right. Or um, you know, if you have this, this is the classic minimum wage problem that it just seems so obvious to me, but nobody gets it. It's like if you create a minimum wage, and now they want it even higher. What you've really done is you've eliminated a huge margin of the like in nineteen fifty five, I think, uh, unemployment rates between blacks and white teenagers uh, were about the same. Uh, and then comes the minimum wage. And within two years, the gap starts to emerge. And, and, and actually, actually, of all teenagers, because I'm not going to pay 15 year old, my 15 year old son to sweep my floors for 20 bucks an hour. I'm not going to do it. Right. I'm just going to stay longer and do it myself, or I'm going right. to have somebody else do it. If I'm going to pay somebody 20 bucks an hour, we're going to divide it amongst my current employees who can actually deliver something to me for that high of wage. So what you've done is you've you've basically cut them out of starter jobs. Once you cut them out of starter jobs, they don't get to progress within the job. My first job at a construction site was, hey, son, you see those two by fours over there? Well, I want you to carry them from where they are now. And Bob over there, he needs them right there. Right. I said, all of them? And they said, all of them. And there was a huge stack. Yeah. Well, I spent eight hours moving wood. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if they had to pay me 20 bucks an hour to do it, they probably wouldn't have. Uh, and then I wouldn't have learned what Bob was doing with those two by fours. And then, right. you know, next summer I was doing what Bob was doing. Sure. And then the summer after that, I was framing rafters. And the summer after that, I was telling everybody, else, you know, it's like I right. moved up. I learned a trade. Right. I would never have had that opportunity. And minimum wage sounds great, but it does that. Right. The market is plenty good enough to dictate the wage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Elizabeth well, Warren. Right now it's doing it. Well, I mean, e- quite frankly. I mean, we, even yeah. even rich families, uh, if they're industrious, understand the precept that you're talking about, Steve. So I, I've, I, people don't know this about me, but on this podcast, but uh, I race cars. I'm a bit of a, of a Ford uh, motor company specialist in terms of what I choose to race. So therefore, I know a little bit. I'm a, a student of the Ford Motor Company, their history a little bit. I've gotten to know a little bit about the Ford family and what they've done, to your point, Steve, when they bring in one of, if you will, the princes of the Ford Motor Company, you know, the descendants of Henry Ford, and obviously they own stock and they're in positions, they're on the board of directors and et cetera. But when they're young, they take those kids uh, and, they, and they go to, you know, some of the finest schools, the Wharton School of Business or Yale, Harvard, wherever they go. So they're, they're, they're very bright kids. But where they send them is, is they literally start out, in essence, the equivalent of the mailroom or the janitorial mm-hmm. or whatever. They go to the shop floor, right? So, so, so they graduate as an engineer, let's say. They don't just plug them in and say, hey, gosh, you're a member of the Ford family. You're, you know, now you're middle management, bingo. You just, you know, start to run. No, they actually, and Henry Ford did this with his son, Henry, you know, uh, Edsel. He did, and then Edsel did this with his son, Henry Ford II. Henry Ford II did this with his son, Edsel II. And uh, Edsel's kids the same way. They're in the Ford company, and they're some of the brightest people there. But, but yes, you've got to start out at the ground level and work your way up. My, my banker, the, the manager at the bank at Chase, where I bank, uh, when I started with Chase 15 years ago at that branch, he was the guy at the front door greeting people. 
he's now the branch manager. That's like, awesome. Right? That's the American dream That's right the, there. Uh, dude, yeah. you start out at the bottom. You you make your minimum wage. You 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 come out with that expectation and and the attitude that you're going to work your ass off and you're going to show you know, Uncle Edsel II on the board of directors of Ford Motor Company, you're going to show him that you're worthy of yeah. going to the design center, not just because your name is Ford, but because you know what the hell you're doing. And, you know, Jared and I have a similar story as well. Like Jared tells the story as a teenager, they were opening up, I think, the New Albany Country Club or one of those country clubs around there. And uh, they were still building the kitchen or doing whatever. I, I can't exactly remember what it was, but he got caught trespassing, I think. And he eventually applied for a job, and the guy's like, well, you have any experience? He just showed up and started working, and the guy said, wait a minute, I didn't hire you. And Jared's like, well, just give me a day. Yes. You know, give me a day or give me a week. If you're not happy with this, then I'll leave. Absolutely. you know, pretty soon he's in charge, you know, and he just worked his ass off, learned what was going on in the kitchen, and did what he did. Right. And then, um, you know, without even thinking about it, I sort of did the same thing upstairs. I had a lead to work for Bill Meeks, one of the premier defense lawyers, and he was just a guy that didn't, he wasn't going to call me back. I kept calling, leaving messages, leaving messages, leaving messages. And I finally said, you know what? I said to myself, I'm sitting here doing nothing on the couch. I'm going to show up. I showed up. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I couldn't get a hold of you. I thought I'd just show up. And I was wearing a suit and they just looked at me and said, all right, you just sit there and answer the phones. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it worked, right? It sort of worked out. And I learned what was going on. I started with the phones, started being the errand boy. I picked up lunch for everybody, uh, delivered, you know, yeah. fecal samples of dogs to uh, the vets. I did that kind of stuff. And I, and I worked my way. And I think people just aren't doing that anymore. And I made peanuts to do that. I mean, I, it was minimum wage. Sure. Right. And uh, if I, they wouldn't have paid me 25 bucks an hour or whatever the functional equivalent would have been in 88 sure. or 90 or 92 sure. uh, to do that. They wouldn't well, have done it. Hey, hey, look what they do in the medical profession. What, 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 what residency is all about for doctors in training, right? Okay. They absolutely abuse and take advantage of it. Those guys and gals are, are like, like they sleep in a closet. Yeah. Brutal. Right. It's brutal what they go through. And so there is this, you know, there is this test of fire in, 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 in getting to, to a, a successful position. And for people not to know that or understand it uh, is, is um, it's, it's going to be tragic for our way of life as Americans. If we, don't, if we don't understand that, you know, an entry wage is not supposed to be a living wage. Yeah. It's supposed to be something that just gets you launched. You bet. And, and then you got to work. Maybe you got to have two jobs, you know? Well, I think with this, we should probably wrap it up. I was thinking about the first Thanksgiving episode we did. We had Jared sitting, and I think that might have even been upstairs still. Uh, he was uh, he was making turkey noises in the background the whole time. How many <laughs> how many years how many years ago, Steve? It was like three years ago now. Three wow, years yeah. ago. you've been doing this three years. I know, now. and still nobody listens. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about it. Jeff was here, Jared was there, and I was sort of thinking of all the stuff that has changed in the last in that time period, whatever it would be. You know, we got the studio down here. Like, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff, and then. You know, I'm not been shy about it lately. I've sort of been reading, uh, going back to the Gospels, reading the Bible, and reacquainting myself with, with uh, religion and Christianity and sort of a simple version of it. And you know, they say at the end of all, uh, all of your problems, all of your catastrophes, um, when when you're really at your 
at the end of your rope, that's where you find God. That's where God can be found, right? You have, then the idea is it's not easy. You have to go through. Um, it, when you realize you can't do it on your own and you need something else, well, then th- that's when everything opens up to you and you have opportunities. And to use that message here, it's like, uh, you know, here we are, like three years later, Jared uh, home. Yeah, good. You know, back from the hospital. I Talk had, about Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, right. so just, you know, like, what are we thankful for? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we're still here. Yeah, so people, Jared is at home with his wife, Shorty, in her loving arms uh, with a uh, remodeled uh, uh, house that uh, friends and family um, it came over and did, uh, you know, a special call out to Jared's dad and to uh, his friend Justin, who uh, went over there and remodeled the bathroom so that he can go in there unobstructed and, and shower off and have access, uh, you know, not having to step over a tub. Uh, they did a complete remodel, and uh, God bless them. Uh, God bless Jared. God bless Shorty, especially Shorty, what she's been through. And um, thank you for saying that, Steve. Yeah, yeah no, there's a, there's a lot to be thankful for. It's funny how at the end you go through something, and the last two years has not been easy on anybody, I don't think. I mean, I mean no. my business has turned upside down. Right. I've uh, been to the brink, almost quit, decided yeah. now, stick it out. And, you know, the show almost didn't happen. There was a time that Brett came down here, and I was sort of, it didn't, it looked terrible in here. It was a mess. And he's like, why don't we do a lawyer talk on with a video? And next thing I know, it sort of spawned us to create this whole new thing here. And now Norm's here. So it's just, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for, even out of the, out of the ashes. And, um, you know, like you said, Jared's at home. I talked to Jeff. Uh, I texted him uh, recently and he's doing great. So, Fantastic. you know, everybody is, uh, there's lots of good stuff going on. And at the end, if you look for it, folks, you will find happiness in the end. Yeah, Steve, uh, you mentioned uh, you're you're seeking deeper understanding of Christianity, and you said a simple version, but there are only Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. and basically the New Testament message is do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. So it is pretty simple. And that's universal of every religion. It pretty yeah. much do yeah. unto yeah. others. Yeah. It's, That's it's the a, basic. It's a very, si- and by simple Christianity. But it's not simple to do. It's, it's not easy to do. But the rules are pretty simple. The rules pretty, are simple. Yep. And, you know, by simple Christianity, I, I mean one that is un, or a doctrine that is uncluttered by politics, church, yeah. and, 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 I don't know, uh, government intervention, I suppose. But I mean, you know, if everybody that's listening, right, Steve, if they all do unto others as they would have others do unto them, what, a, be- a, what a beautiful world we would have. And I think here's the basic underlying message that has just changed my world is that we are not perfect and it is okay. Yeah. Right. We are not perfect and it is okay. And if you think you are perfect, if you think you're the one, you would be the second one. if you you think you're perfect and you think your woke ideals are uh, on par and and that's how it should be and you're not wrong well good for you i'm not i'm not perfect i make mistakes all the time i do not always follow the 10 commandments i do not always um (gasps) do unto others as i would have them do unto me of course and i think the message that i've taken away from the last two years from my study of all this anew is that that's okay um, we just strive to do better and we have an outlet for that. You know, we, it doesn't ruin your life. In fact, it might save yours. So yeah. with that, that's happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy yes. Thanksgiving to you guys. And, you too. Um, so 
another riveting Thanksgiving episode of Lawyer Talk off the record, on the air, at least until now.